Gareth, as he brings your word to us now, please would you be with us by your spirit, helping us to see all that you would have us see and helping us to change in the power that only you can give. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thanks, Ian. Hello. Uh, welcome. Uh, welcome to church. And uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Gareth, uh, if we've not met before. And if we haven't met before, my name is still Gareth, but it's uh, good to have a reminder, isn't it? Um, a friend of mine tells a story about his aunt. Uh, she was uh, meeting some of her family in a quite a big hotel. Uh, and she arrived, uh, she got out of the taxi, and immediately she felt quite flustered because she was expecting just to go into the hotel. Uh, but in front of her was a huge crowd of people Tons of people. There were lots of cameras going off, lots of flash photography, and scarily, there were quite a lot of armed guards, policemen with guns. And she just stood there, kind of in the middle of this crowd, not knowing what to do. And then someone just touched her arm and said, can, can I help you in? Are you okay? And she said, oh, I, need, I want to get into the hotel, please. And he said, oh, I'll, I'll help you. So this guy led her by the arm and walked her into the hotel, and it was really helpful for her because she just knew where to go. And in the foyer, her family was waiting for her. And she said, oh, there they are. They, they, uh, she walked over to them. And they were a bit surprised. And they said, hello. And she said, hey, great to see you. And she said, thanks to the guy. And he walked off. And then the family said, how did you do that? She said, how did I do what? How did you come in here, they asked, on the arm of Nelson Mandela? Now, if you don't know who Nelson Mandela was, and quite a lot of people actually won't, uh, he was a very, very famous man who gave hope to millions of people the world over. You see, the aunt, she didn't get it. She didn't get who this guy was. He was just a nice guy, being helpful to her. But the clues were there. Why was there such a big crowd? Someone important was there, someone famous. That's why the cameras were there. Why were the security guards there? Because someone important was there. How could this man just lead her straight through without anyone bothering them? Why were her family shocked? This wasn't just a normal bloke. This was someone special. It's possible to not get it, isn't it? Not get it. Oh, that's why he seemed familiar, she must have said. And in our passage tonight, there are three not get it moments. I didn't understand. I didn't get it. There are three times where people in tonight's passage don't get who Jesus is. The clues are all there, but they don't get who Jesus is. Uh, We're in Mark chapter 8, which Jane read for us. Thank you. And the passage as a whole, it's fair to say, isn't gluten-free. We have a massive feeding of lots of bread to loads of people. That's the uh, first section. Then um, towards the uh, kind of halfway through, we have Jesus talking about yeast. Uh, And if you've made bread, yeast uh, goes in bread, doesn't it? More flour. And then the disciples talk about, oh, it's because we've got no bread. And Jesus then does a recap of uh, two miracles, again involving bread. Uh, We're going to go through the passage in three sections. The first section, it would be great to have it open if you've um, (coughs) closed it. It's on page 1011. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 10 is the first section. Then there's a smaller section, verses 11 to 13, where the Pharisees come to him, and then 14 to 21, the bigger section at the end. And each of those sections has a not-get-it moment. I didn't get it. And we'll look at those not-get-it moments. And we'll also, along the way, there's a few um, other points of interest uh, that I'd like to draw your attention to. But the main thing is, tonight, do you get it? Do you get who Jesus is? Uh, Now, if you're familiar with the Bible story, or if you've been coming on uh, Sunday evenings, uh, you may have noticed 
that there's quite a lot of similarity between what we've just read and something that happened um, a couple of chapters ago. If you flick over the Bible, page 1109, uh, sorry, 1009, uh, you'll see a little section uh, which the editors have helpfully labelled, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And there are lots of similarities between this miracle in chapter 6 and then the one for tonight in chapter 8. In fact, they're so similar, some people have thought, well, it's basically the same event, but two people got slightly different head counts. I mean, look, if you estimated a crowd of 5,000 and I estimated the same crowd, we might be off a little bit, mightn't we? That's what some people have said. But Mark's gospel absolutely doesn't allow that interpretation. Most clearly of all, because Jesus says, do you remember the other time and do you remember this time? He compares the two. There's no way they can be the same uh, miracle. There's no way they can be the same event. It doesn't make any sense. Mark doesn't allow that. Jesus talks about both. All right, uh, let's get into then verses uh, 1 to 10, this first section. Uh, a big crowd gathers, another large crowd gathers, specifically. And Jesus says, I've got compassion for these people, they're hungry. And we send them home without any food, they've been here three days, they're going to collapse on the way. You ever been that hungry? Maybe you feel that hungry right now. You're going to make it home? I hope so. If not, there's, um, there's probably some snacks at the back afterwards. Uh, there's a saying, uh, you may have come across this, ah, he's too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. You ever come across that saying? Someone's just thinking about heaven all the time and stuff of God, and they're actually no use in real life. Do we see that doesn't apply to Jesus? He's very heavenly minded. And yet he says, let's look after these people. They'll need food. It's not right for us. This is a, it's a lesson for us. If we, if we find ourselves thinking, oh, we only care about the word of God and the word of God only. Nothing else. That's all we've got time for. Now, Jesus preached the word of God. That's what he came to do. And yet he also cared for the people in front of him, the whole of them. He wasn't pandering to their every knees. He wasn't saying, oh, you must have an orange mocha frappuccino with extra cream. And if you don't get that, he said, no, if you're going to collapse, we definitely need to give you some bread. Not to every whim. But he cared for the whole person. And we must too. As churches, we seek to love Harpenden. Let us care for the whole of people. We want to bring them the word of God. Absolutely. But we can also be like Jesus and care for the whole of them. Okay, now we have the first not-get-it moment. It's in verse 4. So bear in mind, the disciples have seen um, this miracle previously, a couple of chapters before, where Jesus feels this, uh, feeds this enormous crowd with just a bit of bread. Okay, that's just happened. Imagine you've just seen that. And now, they're in another wild place where there's a big crowd and Jesus wants to feed them with some bread. Okay? Maybe you think, oh, there's a similarity here. What do the disciples say in verse 4? Can you see it? Where in this remote place can... Anyone? Can anyone get enough bread? Oh, can't see a way out of this one. Do you see that? They didn't get it. Jesus had done this miracle just recently, and yet they still ask, how can anyone get enough bread? They've not learned the lesson. Now, what's going on here? Are they a bit dim? Are they a bit dense? Well, let's come back to that. But there, are, there were similarities there, for sure, as we thought about a large crowd, Jesus calling some people together. Uh, and then he goes on, as they get some bread, verse 5, we see there are seven loaves. And Jesus tells the crowd to sit down, and he, and he takes the seven loaves and he gives thanks. And he breaks it and gives it to the disciples, just like he did in Mark chapter 6. Uh, just very briefly, it's interesting that Jesus does that both times. He, he gives thanks for food. We're not commanded to do that, but it's a good pattern, I think, isn't it? To give thanks to God for whatever he's given us, whether it's enough to feed an army or whether it's just a few bits of bread. Jesus gives thanks. 
But there are differences too. So if we, um, hopefully it might come up on the screen a table. All right. Um, here we have a table between Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 8. And there are some differences between what we're seeing here and what we saw um, the other week, if you were here. So in Mark chapter 6, we're going to reveal the first thing. Um, the ethnicity, the people that Jesus was talking to were mainly Jews. That is, people who had uh, what we would call now the Old Testament. They had that as their Bible. Uh, and then uh, in Mark chapter 8, we've seen actually in chapter 7 that Jesus moves into Gentile territory. That is, um, people who aren't Jews. So there's a different ethnicity group going on here. Uh, secondly, people. Uh, Mark chapter 6 tells us there were 5,000 men. Uh, in Mark chapter 8, uh, we read, you can see it there, there are about 4,000, verse 9. And the word men actually isn't there in the original. Uh, if you have a newer NIV, they don't, I don't think they put that. They just put about 4,000 were present. So it's not quite clear if that's 4,000 men using the same methodology as last time or whether that's a total number. But 5,000 and 4,000. Uh, then about the bread. Mark chapter 6, there were five loaves. Uh, this uh, section, Mark chapter 8, we are told there are seven loaves. Slightly different. Fish, two fish before. This time we're told they have a few small fish. You see that in verse 7 here, Mark chapter 8, verse 7. A few small fish. Uh, and then, uh, as that comes up, and then finally, leftovers. Uh, previously there were 12 baskets, and now there are seven basketfuls. All right, so that's, that's a comparison. That's going to be uh, important as we come up, because Jesus is going to talk about this. He's going to ask them, as we've already heard, about the difference between the baskets. There is actually one other difference that we can't see uh, just now, uh, but that is uh, uh, something I'll come back to in a minute, or uh, rather in the third section. Some differences. Okay, it's, the sim it's similar, but not the same. What's the significance of these differences? Well, we're not told here. We're going to come back to that in our third section. But we see very, right at the beginning, the disciples don't get it. Jesus does this incredible miracle. Basically, the, exactly the same opportunity comes up. And they think, oh, we're done for. They didn't get who they were with. Let's move on. Uh, second section, that can come down now. Thanks, Tim. Uh, verses 11 to 13. Uh, they've gone uh, in, into the boat and gone to the region of Dalmanutha. And then a group called the Pharisees come, verse 11, and begin to question Jesus. The Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? Well, we've seen them a few times in Mark's Gospel. And some verses are going to come up on the screen. You can flick to them in the uh, Bible if you want, but they're just going to come up on the screen. Um, first one, Mark chapter 2, verse 16. Uh, and actually, before I go into this, something I've, been, um, I've fallen into the trap of thinking is kind of all the Jewish people in Mark's Gospel, and indeed all the Gospels, are kind of the same. They're just interchangeable. I think Pharisees, I think, oh yeah, the teachers of the law, I think the Sadducees, I think they all kind of hang out together in one big group. But actually, that's not quite how they're presented. And so Mark 2, verse 16, we see when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees. So there's, there seems to be some overlap between the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Pharisees maybe being a, a subset of the teachers of the law group. Uh, then in a few verses later, we read that the Pharisees have disciples, like John the Baptist had disciples, and they were fasting. So they are religious people. They are devoted people. And then, Mark 7, verse 1, probably the clearest, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who'd come from Jerusalem. So we see here they're not exactly the same thing. I did a, a bit more research and uh, generally held that it's quite hard to identify who the Pharisees were. But we can see, we get a sense from Mark's Gospel that they are not always there. They actually haven't seen that many miracles. Often Jesus does them in front of the teachers of the law. There's one in chapter 3 which they might have seen, a man with a shriveled hand. But apart from that, they haven't seen loads, as far as we, we are told. 
And that explains what they come to uh, talk to Jesus about. Verse 11 of chapter 8. The Pharisees come and begin to question him. To test him, they ask him for a sign from heaven. Give us a sign from heaven. Which would be a bit of a weird thing if you've seen ten of them already. Wouldn't it? Show us another sign from heaven. But no, they, they want to see. We've heard, we've heard you do incredible things. Show us. How does Jesus respond? He sighed deeply. Oh. He sighed deeply. Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth. No sign will be given it. Why doesn't Jesus give them a sign? Why doesn't he do what they want? Isn't that a good thing to ask Jesus? Well, it's actually their attitude. They didn't get it. They weren't coming to Jesus saying, we think you're someone special. Tell us, show us, help us. Here we see verse 11, to test him. That word is like try, to, to trap. They're trying to catch him out. They're not on his, they're not on his team. They're against him. And that explains Jesus' response. They didn't get it. And they don't come in faith like the disciples do. They come in opposition. Give us a sign from heaven then. Go on then. If you can. They didn't get it. Let's move on to the third and final section. Verses 14 to 21. Now, in, the, uh, in verse 13, we, we read, they've got back into the boat and gone over to the other side. And we're told the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except one loaf they had with them in the boat. Okay, one between 12, 13 or so. Not going to stretch that far. Miracles notwithstanding. And Jesus then gives them a warning. Be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they start whispering to each other, what's he talking about? Is it because you forgot the bread? I didn't forget the bread. It was your job. No, I told I left the note on the side. And Jesus says, knowing what they're talking about, why are you talking about having no bread? You don't get it. You don't get it. Now, when you read these verses, did you get it? I remember looking at these verses at Bible college and thinking, this is a hard bit, isn't it? I hope I never have to preach on these verses. <laughs> what is Jesus talking about? Well, let's look at verse 15. Because this is a command, right? This is what Jesus is telling them. Beware, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. It's even more emphatic in the original. He says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. So they're actually two different yeasts. I said the word yeast more often than anyone in their right mind normally does. It's a funny word. The more you say it, the more it sounds strange. Yeast. What's, what is yeast? Well, you put it in bread. What effect does yeast have? A little bit goes a long way, doesn't it? A little bit goes a long way. If it's fresh enough, the bread rises. Occasionally, I've forgotten to put the yeast. Uh, we have a bread maker. I've forgotten to put the yeast in. It's quite a disappointing sight when you open it up and you have just a lump of inedible dough. Just for like a few grams of yeast. A little goes a long way. And Jesus says, watch out for the yeast the Pharisees have. And, the, uh, and the Herod has. All right, so what is this yeast? What's the problem with them? Well, I think Jesus is talking about two different problems of approaching God. The first is legalism, and the second is license. 
Legalism, firstly. This is the Pharisees, the yeast of the Pharisees. If you just look over the page, you don't have to turn, actually. In chapter 7, we see this in chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law from Jerusalem gathered round Jesus and saw that some of his disciples were eating foods with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. And then we're told, as Mark explains to us, the Pharisees do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. You must follow these rules. And they have a go at Jesus, like, why don't you do this? You should. Look at the law, look at the rules. They were legalists. To be good with God, you had to follow every single rule. Oh, and really follow it. How's it under your fingernails? Show me. God's not going to like that, is he? Legalism. What about Herod? What about Herod? Well, actually, we saw a bit about Herod in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 17. This is in the story where John the Baptist is beheaded. And we learn why John the Baptist was in prison in the first place. It's because he was preaching against Herod, who had taken his brother's wife for himself. So Herod takes his uh, sister-in-law, that's right, isn't it? his sister-in-law, and marries her, and that's wrong. And Herod doesn't really care. It's all right. Do what I like. It's the opposite of legalism in some ways. License. Look at these rules. Look at these laws. Look at this really big one about not marrying your brother's wife. Yeah. Doesn't matter. I do what I like. The yeast of Herod. License. Legalism and license. Now you might think that those are totally different. They're like opposite problems. But actually they're the same problem. They're the same problem. Their hearts are far from God. Their hearts are far from God. They don't care about the spirit of the law. Don't care about the spirit of the law. If you flick back to Mark chapter 3, we'll see that the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of the Herod, uh, yeast of, uh, Herod leads to the same place. Chapter 3, verse 6. Jesus just performed a miracle, helping a man with a, a withered hand. Verse 6 of chapter 3. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians about how they might kill Jesus. Legalists, you must follow the rules. Licensed people, yeah, do what you like. They agree, we must kill Jesus. Because Jesus challenged both of the groups. He said, it's not about the rules, whether you follow them. How's your heart? And you don't get to ignore the rules. How's your heart? Yeast of the Pharisees and yeast of Herod. The same at heart, far from God, wanting Jesus to be rid of. There's something here for us. It's not, I I think, um, necessarily where the whole thrust of this passage goes, but that command still rings true. Are we pursuing legalism? Are we feeling good about the rules we've followed? Or do we feel good because we don't care about the rules and ignore what God says and just do whatever we like without thinking? I've got license to do whatever I want. The question is, do I get who Jesus is and does he change my heart? Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, Jesus says. And then the disciples, they don't get it. So now Jesus gets uh, into this bit in verse 17 of chapter 8, back in our passage. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? He asks these questions.
When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets did, you pick, did I pick up? Did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? It would be really helpful if he then told us what the answer was, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> I, was, um, I was pacing quite a bit in my uh, living room this week, trying to work out what, what is Jesus getting at here? What is Jesus getting at here? And uh, one of the things uh, that it uh, made me think is, uh, I don't, shouldn't be as smug, maybe as uh, I sometimes feel, when I read about the disciples. We were thinking earlier, are they really dim? Do they not get it? But actually, we've got a big benefit. We know a lot that they didn't know. There's actually a thing um, known as the curse of knowledge. It's not a, a biblical concept, the curse of knowledge. Uh, what it is, is it, it's hard to not know what you know. Uh, give me an example, okay? What song is this? Don't say it. Now, does, any, just quite, does anyone know what song? Does anyone recognize that song? Okay, a few people. Okay, about a third of people. Now, if you knew it, like, yeah, I know it. And if you don't know it, you're thinking, what was that? Okay, the curse of knowledge. Now I'm going to tell you two words and do it again. Happy birthday. Now you hear the song. It's happy birthday, obviously. And even if I said, don't think of the tune, and start doing it, you hear it, don't you? You you recognise the song because you now know something. It's the same with Jesus. The disciples, they didn't know. They could hear the signs were there and yet they couldn't work it out. We are not in Mark chapter 8. We are those who've been given Jesus revealed in Scripture, the New Testament, all the way through. His death and resurrection. Jesus died, Jesus rose, and that helps us understand what we see. The huge thing they didn't get is who Jesus really is. Back in Mark chapter 4, Jesus calmed the storm and they were terrified. They were terrified. And he asked them, Mark chapter 4, this is verse 41, or they asked each other rather, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. They didn't know who this was. They'd been asking that question. They were afraid. And then it, uh, it comes up again in Mark chapter 6, verses 49 to 52. This is the last um, cross-reference of you are flicking around. Here's a key for us. Mark 6, verses uh, 49 to 52. Jesus has been walking on the lake, and they're afraid because they think he's a ghost. They cry out and they're terrified. He speaks to them and says, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbs into the boat. Then we read, They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They hadn't got the miracle they'd just seen. And still now, having seen the feeding of the 4,000, they hadn't got it. That meant they were afraid. They didn't get who Jesus is. Well, the story gets better for the disciples, as we'll see as we go further into Mark in the coming weeks. The second half of chapter 8 is coming, where Peter sees who Jesus is. They start to understand what Jesus is about. I'm going to just tell you a little bit about um, how far I didn't get with answering Jesus' questions. 
Now, there are some people who've um, suggested some answers for what the seven loaves, the, the symbolism of the numbers. Uh, the Jews and Gentiles, remember, we've been thinking about that. Uh, there were 12 baskets for the Jews. Well, there were 12 tribes of Israel, okay? Uh, and there were five loaves, that's five books of the Pentateuch, the first uh, books of the Bible. And now with the Gentiles, there's seven, seven loaves and seven baskets, and that seven's a number of completeness, so God is bringing the, uh, the gospel to everyone. Now, that might be the case. Doesn't quite grab me as a as a satisfying answer. It doesn't tell us anything that we've already seen in Mark's gospel much more clearly with the um, Syrophoenician woman. Jesus has come to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, but then also, uh, sorry, to the Jews, but also then to the Gentiles. Uh, and then, uh, as I was uh, talking this out, I was thinking, what's the? Is it the ratios? Because you've got five loaves and then twelve baskets. Jesus says, and then you've got uh, seven fish, uh, seven loaves, and seven baskets. So with, a, with a, more food and a, and a smaller crowd, you'd expect more leftovers. But there's left, less, less leftovers. And I think, was there a significance of that? And I thought, I'm not sure there's a significance there that I can understand. And then I was thinking about, what about the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod? What has that got to do with it? How is there the link there? And then I, I found out one other thing uh, that uh, was, was interesting to me. Um, and uh, maybe one day God will give you insight and you can help me with it. Back up on the screen, thank you, the table, the final table. If that could come up, Tim. Thank you. Uh, the final one, the final difference, uh, which we can't see, that can you press forward. Is that going to? Yeah. Is the baskets? The word used for the baskets is different. Okay. So in Mark chapter six, uh, it's kofinos, uh, and then in Mark chapter eight, it's uh, spuris. Now this is in some ways. Oh, you can, might have more than one word for baskets. But what is striking to me is that Jesus uses those words. Definitely. When he talks about the first miracle, he's using the kofinos word. And then when he talks about the second one, he uses the spurious word. Mark does the same thing in 6 and 8. And Matthew does the same thing in his gospel. They're different baskets. They're different things. How are they different? I don't know. The only thing I could also see is that Paul is let down uh, of, uh, the wall in, his, in the Acts um, in a spurious. Bigger basket? That all made me think, now I really don't know what's going on. If they don't even compare in size. Do I understand? Well, there's much I don't. There's much we don't understand. Jesus is greater than us. And yet Mark is not writing so that we might be more confused and more fearful. He's writing that we would be encouraged, that we would have faith. Because if we zoom out on this passage, what happens? A man takes a few bits of bread and feeds thousands of people. A man who teaches. A man who is unique. A man who is God himself. And so with the questions we have and the things we don't understand, we bring them to Jesus. We trust over time that he will teach us like he taught his disciples. We can be encouraged when we don't get it. Well, the disciples didn't get it and they were with Jesus. Maybe uh, you, uh, you teach people the Bible and sometimes you're a bit discouraged by how much people don't quite get what you're saying. Jesus with these disciples and they didn't get it. If he and his teaching didn't instantly bring understanding, we need the Spirit's help. And the one thing to get, the one thing to get, as we bring these three passage, uh, sections together in our passage, is do you get who Jesus is? He is the Lord. He is the one from heaven. Come down to earth. And 
The biggest problem we can have, the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, is a hardness of heart that rejects Jesus. Jesus can give you everything you need with leftovers. Come to him. And when you've understood him, when you've understood, you'll know, because you won't be afraid. You'll know that he is here for your good and give you everything you need. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to earth to feed us in every way. Thank you that you worked incredible signs that we might see your glory. And so I pray for your help for each of us, Lord. Would we know you all the more? For the things we don't understand, Lord, we pray you'd teach us, that you'd be patient with us. And in every way, would we uh, know you with us as the one who leads us through, the one who is the bread of life. We ask it for your glory's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing one last song about Jesus. Please stand.